Well, I'll tell you what baptism is not, since you're asking. Uh, baptism is not for perfect people. Uh, perfect people are really hard to come by, may, maybe even impossible to come by, because there's something, and this is true uh, for all of us, if you feed the wild beast of temptation with a morsel of harmless sin, then it will first befriend you, then it will bite you, then it will devour you. Perfect people? No way. We're in the middle of a series called Landmark, and on this road trip in earnest pursuit of Christ, we are being brought together into one. We have hope and freedom in the love of Jesus. We are drawn closer uh, through a growing faith in Jesus. We don't make faith, but we remain expectant, active, and focused on our faith catalyst. And we mark our journey by celebrating key moments known as landmarks. Periodically, we together pull off to the side of the road uh, and, and we get out of the bus. Uh, we take a look around and we remember where we've been. We remember where we've come from. We, we reevaluate where we are. Are we now where we really want to be? We take a good look at the landmark that we stop for. We, we, we look at each other at the same time and, you know, sometimes we take a couple of pictures. Then we refocus on where we're headed. We get back on the bus and we continue the journey. And there are any number of landmarks that we will come to as we move forward but some of the ones that we highlight for special focus are bum, 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 uh, episode two. We, uh, we, we, we looked at a previous episode, we looked at communion, one of those things that we stop for on a regular basis. Episode four, marriage. Episode five, child dedication. This episode might overlap a little bit with episode five, but you know what? You're probably all going to forget it by then anyway. Uh, Episode six, Heartbreak Survivor. Episode one, and this is the one that we started with because that's why we call it number one. It was the essential one that we have to see first so that we can understand all of the others in their larger context. And that was the we story. Because it's tempting for all of us. It's tempting to see our faith journey as just that. Our faith journey, mine. Uh, it's about me. It's happening to me, but our faith journey is always to be a larger part um, in that community of faith. You join up, you partner with a church so that they can help you, so that you can help them, so, so we can help each other, and, and then together we can help our community as well. We are a living visual display of the kingdom. So simply the act of proceeding together is a gift that we can give back to God, because it, it's what he asked for. It's, it's his way. Uh, and and it's, not, it's his way because it's not the, the general way of this world. We are prone to self-interest, to self-focus and, self, and being self-conscious. Being part of the kingdom of God on earth right now, uh, living in a way that is unlike the kingdom of this world. That's what we're supposed to be about. And so we choose to live now as part of a different kingdom. We live in this world, but we do so as visitors. We are citizens of a different world, and that is why we choose to live differently. One thing 
<laughs> we notice in absolute crystal clarity is that other people around us are horrible, wicked, wicked sinners. I mean, can you believe the way that some of these people live? Drinking coffee? <laughs> Having hair? Having cats as pets? All of these things and more. Sometimes uh, this should make you, frankly, some of you out there feel a lot more comfortable. Sometimes Christians, sometimes Christians do bad things. Shock, right? But the shock is the issue. In our past, and probably still in our present, we can give off a holy roller, holier than thou, I'm better than you kind of vibe. You know what? People don't like that. But you know what's worse? Sometimes they really believe us. Sometimes people get a vibe from the church or from church people that makes them think, not good enough. Not good enough to even enter the building. And there's a vibe that we have given off that, that it's even worse than that because these people who have, who have not been a part of our community of faith, they don't know it, but they kind of treat us like priests. They look to us to show them what God is like and how we, how they can be around him. And the message that they have picked up is that they are bad. And supposedly we are good. And they hear not good enough. And it goes farther than that. They now have lingering feelings, not just about us, but about God. That God doesn't like them either because they are not good enough. And they feel the weight then of not good enough. Never good enough. And I'm lost and I need help, but even God doesn't like me. So they tell stories about us and about God, and we don't particularly like it when they do. But they make TV shows and they make movies and they sing songs about how good you have to be to go to heaven. you got to be good enough. You have to do more good than bad. Your good deeds need to outweigh your bad deeds. And it, it's all just so untrue and, and unhelpful and overwhelming. So I want to speak specifically, first of all, to all my, my churchy people, churchy people here and here. We need to watch what we say, and especially how we say it, especially when we claim to speak on God's behalf. If it is from God, then it should smell like God. It should have a fragrance of God about it. It should look and sound like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what it should look like. We need to get our messages cleaned up and straightened out. And hopefully today we can sort through some of that. Now secondly, I want to speak directly to all of my, my non-churchy folks, some here and some at church online, those who have not quite decided yet. I'm interested, I'm looking those who are not really sure what they believe about God, I'm interested, checking it. Those who are taking a wee peek behind the curtain to see what it's all about. Those who have heard some stuff and have, have lived through some stuff. Or they had a grandma who, who prayed for them and, and, and she went to church. And why did she do that? And how does that work out for me? Those who grew up even from a different faith and now they want to try and figure out 
what is this Christianity all about? I see such different pictures of it. So uh, to all of you first, let me tell you loud and very, very clearly at Into One, you can belong before you believe everything that we believe. You can belong before you believe and then you can take steps to grow so that you might be bold in your living. That's first. Belong before you believe. Second, please hear me. Listen carefully. Good people don't go to heaven. Let me say it again. Uh, so you can stop your morality calculus that you're working out there trying to figure out what you've done more of. Where, where do I stand this week? And what do I have to do to just push me over the line so I'll be good enough? Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Going to church doesn't get you into heaven. Being polite doesn't get you into heaven. Being moral? Nope. Being drug-free? Nope. Watching your language doesn't get you into heaven. None of these things are bad things to work on, but they won't get you into heaven. They're probably all good things, but being good doesn't get you into heaven. Being forgiven opens the door to heaven. So here's some more truth, okay? To those of you who are looking at church, thinking about it, trying to figure out Jesus and where you stand, what you believe, what you don't believe. This is not good news, okay? But it is true. The church, and specifically this church, this church is filled with sinners. This church even has a pastor that is a sinner. And, and, and I'm surprised by how many Christians are scandalized by sinners in the church. I know it's disappointing, right? But who did we think Jesus was going to build his church with? Into one is filled with sinners who have been forgiven by God. My identity is no longer sinner because I have been forgiven by God. He calls me a saint, me. And I'm God's workmanship, his handiwork, uh, born anew in Christ to do uh, his work. And the same can be true for you. This is all part of the we story. We are in this together. We stumble forward together. This is hard to do, but it's the only option. This is what God has called us into. And I believe living out the Christian life effectively sits on a three-legged stool. Honesty, humility, and holiness. Honesty tells the truth, humility accepts the truth, and holiness lives the truth. I pray daily that as a pastor and as a believer, and that God would convict me if that's not true in me. Guide me into that, Lord Jesus, I pray. So all that to say, that was the intro for episode three, okay? Episode three is baptism, and that's where we are today. Baptism really is our first sacrament. First comes baptism, then comes communion. A sacrament, as you might recall, is a religious rite or a ceremony that was recognized or instituted by Jesus himself. So it is almost, almost universally agreed that in some way baptism is connected with the beginning of the Christian life. 
It's, it's one's initiation into the universal, invisible church as well as into the local, visible church. There's no need for baptism if there's no sin. If, there's no, if there is sin, there is nothing but the finished work of Jesus that can make any difference. Baptism is the way that we declare, I'm with him. He's the one that I follow. I'm in. I don't understand every nuance and detail yet. I, I have done nothing to earn this. On my own, I'm deserving of death. In fact, I die to myself, and I'm raised to new life in Christ. But, but I'm with him. Jesus, Jesus is my master. He's showing me the way to live in this life and the next one. So the Apostle Paul, uh, he writes a monumental, just a huge letter to the people in the church of Rome. And he's not met them, but he's planning to come and visit them. So as his introduction, he writes them this letter that we call the book of Romans. Um, and in it, Paul lays out lots and lots of complicated theology, frankly. And so, so that they know where he's coming from. He's looking, he's planning on partnering with them. And, and to do that, well, he wants them to know him and to know what he has been teaching in all these different places. So I thought, hey, why not let Paul lay out this situation for us? So if you have it, pull out your Bible and go to Romans chapter 6. You can do this at home as well. Romans chapter 6, and let's follow along from there. Romans chapter 6, starting at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Verse 2, by no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the uh, glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. Five, for if we have been united with him in, his, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Six, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should uh, no longer be slaves to sin. Seven, because anyone who has died has been freed, has been set free from sin. Eight, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Nine, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Ten, the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Eleven, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Twelve, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Sin, life, death, baptism, resurrection, salvation, all tied up in there together. Why do we think of baptism? You know, it appears in the New Testament repeatedly, over and over again, the New Testament, or the proper translation, accurate translation, would be the New Covenant. 
First with John the baptizer, also called John the Baptist, right? But he was called John the Baptist because he was a baptizer and not because he was a Baptist, right? There's no denominations yet. There's not even Christianity yet. So John the Baptist, he explains to the people why, why he's baptizing. And, and, and he introduces also Jesus to the crowd. So we can jump there to Matthew chapter 3, if you have your Bible. Verse 11, John the Baptist says, to the people, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, Heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, 17, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Right there, we just had ourselves a Trinity sighting, okay? That was a full Trinity uh, appearance at Jesus' baptism. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove onto Jesus, Son of God, and then a voice from heaven, God the Father speaks, this is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That is a really, really big deal. Then later on, Jesus, he's speaking to a Pharisee, one of the most respected members of Jewish society, known for deep, thorough, ongoing study, uh, being an expert in in the very, very public following of all the spiritual and all the moral and all the cultural laws. Nicodemus, he's got questions. Come to Jesus for answers. John chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered some of these questions. Very truly, I tell you, Nikki, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. But what if I don't want to? What if I'm a little bit shy? What if I'd prefer another path? Can, I, can, I, can we still be connected with Jesus? In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. What about Peter? Jesus, okay, crucified. Jesus, dead. Jesus, buried. Jesus, resurrected. Jesus, ascended back to the Father. Peter's preaching now on the day of Pentecost. He's calling everyone follow Jesus. And they say back to him, you know, Peter, we're we're connecting. We're on the same wavelength here. That's great, Peter. We hear you. Absolutely going to do what you say. But what do we do now? So Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So following Jesus requires us to repent. That means to turn away from, to to walk away from our sin, to seek forgiveness for your sins, and then to be baptized. Jesus is the one who made forgiveness possible, and Jesus is the one who grants the forgiveness for our sins. So we ask him to do that. And then we give a public declaration of faith, Acts 2.32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we 
are all witnesses of it. We declare our faith so that we might be witnesses to the saving, to the transforming work of Jesus. As Jesus did, you die to sin. As Christ rose from the death, we rise to new life in Christ. That is kind of the pathway to becoming a Christian, and baptism is right smack dab in the middle of it all. Now, time for the barbecue, the BBQ. Three big questions about baptism. First, what is the meaning of baptism? What does it accomplish? Two, who should be baptized? Adults, kids, who? Three, how should you be baptized? Okay? So I got to tell you, you're going to have to sit up a little bit straighter for, for a little bit here. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, we're, we're going to get a little theological here for a couple of moments. Views of baptism, I want to walk you through some of these, okay? So the meaning. We have different groups. If you remember from communion, we had different groups. So the first group, they would call it saving grace. That's their thing. And these are the sacramentalists. We're going to find these uh, uh, primarily the Lutherans and the Roman Catholic views. They speak of baptismal regeneration. They believe that baptism actually affects a transformation, bringing a person from spiritual death to life. The most extreme view of this would be found certainly in traditional Catholicism, but also to a lesser degree in Lutheran circles. Baptism, according to the sacramentalists, is a means by which God imparts, provides, gives, uh, allocates, delivers, distributes saving grace. It results in the remission of sins. And for the Lutherans, the sacrament doesn't work unless faith is already present. The sacrament itself, however, is God's doing rather than something that we offer. Baptism is the Holy Spirit's work of initiating people into the church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Within this view, baptism objectively unites the believer with Christ once and for all. The knowledge that one has been baptized and therefore is united with Christ in his death and resurrection will be a constant source of encouragement and inspiration to the believer. View number two, sign and seal of the covenant. This position is primarily held by uh, the Reformed um, and uh, Presbyterian theologians. They would tie closely to the concept of the covenant. They regard the sacraments as a sign and seals of God's working out the covenant which he has established with the whole human race. So like circumcision in the Old Testament, baptism makes us sure of God's promises. The, the significance is not as clear cut for the, uh, as the sacramentalists. So baptism is an act of faith by which you are brought into God's covenant of grace, the source of our justification and salvation. So baptism takes us through the door um, so that we might experience those benefits. The act of baptism is both the means of initiation into the covenant and a sign of salvation. Third, the symbol or the token view of salvation. This is the third-ish kind of view. It sees baptism as a token, uh, as an outward symbol, a display, an indication of an inward change which has been effected in the believer. It is an initiatory rite. We're baptized into the name of Christ. 
The act of baptism was commanded by Christ. So we, we see that in Matthew 28. Uh, when Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. <clears throat> and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In this view, it does not produce spiritual change in the one baptized. We continue to practice baptism simply because Jesus commanded it and because it serves as a form of the proclamation of our salvation. The act of baptism conveys no direct spiritual benefit or blessing. It can, but it's not what, the, it's not what it's about. In particular, we are not regenerated through baptism, but baptism presupposes faith and the salvation to which faith leads. It is a testimony that, has, that one has been regenerated, not the means of regeneration. So if there's spiritual benefit uh, in the fact that there is baptism, it brings us into the membership or the participation in the local church. It's not just about us as individuals. Who should be baptized? Lutheran theologians say the who fall into two groups. First, there's the adults who have already come to faith in Christ, and then second would be children and, and even infants as they have uh, seen them being baptized in New Testament times. And so they, they say that the evidence is that children were brought, brought to Jesus. Here, here, here they are, Jesus, and Jesus touched them. And so also in Acts, we read that whole households were baptized. And so they would say, it's reasonable for us to assume that in these whole households, they're not composed exclusively of adults. Children are part of the people of God, and just the way the Old Testament says that they, just as the Old Testament said they were part of the nation, baptism is saying that in the New Testament, that is the way that they are brought into the covenant. As it happened in, in the New Testament, it's, it, it's a precedent for today. So moreover, the uh, Baptism of children is necessary to remove the taint of original sin. So since children are not capable of expressing the faith needed for regeneration, it is essential that they receive the cleansing from baptism. That does allow for the charge of inconsistency between the practice of infant baptism and the insistence upon justification by faith alone. Sometimes that problem is dealt with by claiming the faith of the parent or the, the faith of the church itself that is involved when a child is baptism, baptized. In Roman Catholicism, this dilemma doesn't even occur because according to Catholic doctrine, faith is not really necessary. The only requirements are that someone present the child and then a priest administer the sacrament properly. So allow me just to mention for a second that this point about salvation by grace, by faith alone, is one of the protesters' claims against the Catholic Church. This is a Protestant essential, but it is not a Catholic essential. So in many ways, the subjects of baptism are the same for the Reformed, Presbyterian, and the Sacramentalists. On one hand, uh, believing adults, uh, all believing adults should be baptized, and then they are, they've already come to faith. On the other hand, children of believing parents are also to be baptized. So 
while the baptism of children is never taught in Scripture, they would argue that it is implied that's why we do it. And the argument goes like this, um, that as circumcision was to the Old Testament covenant, so no baptism is to the New Testament covenant. Baptism is pictured as a washing away of sin. Where this gets a little testy is that those who hold that baptism is essentially a sign and a seal of the covenant, they claim that it is not legitimate to impose upon a child the requirements that there would be for an adult. So there's a big difference in how you would view those two age groups. Now, in the view of those who regard baptism as basically an outward symbol, the question of the proper who, well, that is now of great importance. Candidates for baptism have already experienced new birth. It's the, the basis of faith. The baptism of which we are speaking then is believers' baptism. An age is not highlighted. It is baptism for those who have met the conditions of salvation, repentance and active faith. Scripture makes it clear that uh, personal, conscious faith in Christ is a prerequisite to baptism. In the Great Commission, the command to baptize follows the command to disciple. We saw that in Matthew chapter 18, uh, 28, verse 19. Um, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Belief followed by baptism is the pattern for John the Baptist. It's the pattern for Peter on the day of Pentecost and even throughout the book of Acts. That's the pattern that we see. And all of these examples lead to the conclusion that responsible believers, conscious, faith-induced, they've made a decision are the only ones, the only people who are to be baptized. Three, almost there. How should one be baptized? Is it sprinkling, uh, anointing, uh, washed, immersion? In the Lutheran view, how you are baptized is not of any great significance. Since there's no essential given in Scripture or a way to know for sure that everyone um, was baptized in the same way, then there's no indispensable symbolism in the way that you're going to go and do it. The mode that you choose for baptism is not tied to any one form. In the Reformed and Presbyterian approach to baptism, um, the mode is relatively inconsequential as well. What was important in New Testament times was the fact and results of baptism, not the manner in which it was administered. Finally, now for those who believe in the token of salvation through baptism, the symbol, there is some variation. Um, certain groups like uh, the Mennonites practice believer's baptism, but practice it by modes other than immersion. So probably the majority of people who hold to believer's baptism utilize immersion exclusively. And that's why we have a tank here. Where baptism is understood as a symbol and testimony of the salvation which has occurred in the life of the individual, it is not surprising that immersion is the preferred mode. Why? Because it best pictures, it gives the clearest symbol of the believer's resurrection from spiritual death. 1 Peter 3.21. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience. Toward God. 
It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you, when you hear that, it's important to note there, Peter is, um, that verse is actually a denial of the rite of baptism as in having any effect in and of itself. It saves only in that it's an appeal to God, a pledge, an act of faith, acknowledging dependence on Him. The real basis of salvation is Christ's resurrection. We've said it before, we've got to say it again. Our whole Christian faith hangs on the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, there is no power in Christianity at all. The idea that Jesus saves comes from the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. And the resurrection means everything sad is going to eventually come untrue. And it will somehow be greater for once being broken and lost. The baptism story reminds us of resurrection. The communion story reminds us of the new covenant purchased uh, by Jesus for us. This is not about personal salvation. That, that term is so individualistic. It, it's so misleading to, to be in Christ, which is where we're, we're going, is to become part of the people of God. First uh, Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. Mercy, which means that your baptism makes you a part of a community with privileges and responsibilities. The meaning of baptism lies first in the strong connection between baptism and our being united with Christ. In his death and resurrection, at a specific moment, you, the believer, actually becomes linked to Christ. The book of Acts often ties belief and baptism together. Baptism ordinarily follows upon or virtually coincides with belief. Baptism itself is an act of faith and commitment. So, baptism is a powerful proclamation of the truth of what Christ has done. It is a symbol rather than merely a sign. It's a graphic picture of the truth it conveys. So, there's no inherent connection between a sign and what it represents. For example, green lights. It's only by convention that green lights, uh, green traffic lights, tell us to go rather than to stop. But by contrast, the sign of a railroad crossing is more than a sign. It's also a symbol because it's a rough picture of what is intended to, uh, what, what, what's going to happen, what it's indicating. So the crossing of a road and a railway track. So baptism is a symbol and not merely a sign, for it actually pictures the believer's death and then the resurrection with Christ. So one of my theology professors, he used to tell us about baptism, and this is, it's essential. Uh, the thief on the cross is the only one that is said to be saved uh, and, and who will be meeting Christ in paradise without being baptized. So you either get baptized or you die on a cross next to Jesus and you talk to about him, you're talking about it with him personally. I thought, well, that narrows it down a fair amount, doesn't it? Uh, Christians believe that the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross provides the sole basis for the forgiveness of sin. Therefore, salvation occurs only when a person places his or her faith in the death and the resurrection of Christ 
and the sufficient payment for his or her sin. If you have surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are ready to be baptized. Because Jesus instructs us to be baptized, baptism is an act of obedience. So just like the bride and groom at a wedding, they show others their love for one another by wearing wedding bands, your baptism is your opportunity to show others that you have surrendered to Christ and are now walking with Him. The water of baptism works as a symbol for us, a first of cleansing, washing away our sins, purifying us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and secondly, of death and resurrection. We follow Christ into death, that is the going under, and the new birth, the new life, the resurrection. And the coming back up above the surface is the finishes that off. That is the resurrection symbol. And the symbol provides for us memory and and clarity and declaration. Our life is held in Christ. That's why we practice believer's baptism by immersion. And I understand that was heavier than what you normally would hear here. So I want to finish off with a story for you. I can remember one of my favorite baptism stories. It happened in the early days of Into One. There was a young 19 or 20-something girl. Some of you know her. Who uh, She wanted to be baptized. She had come from a home where faith, not highly respected, and she had come to faith during high school. She joined Into One uh, early on, and she said, uh, sadly had to move away a couple of years ago to afford a house. And unfortunately, that's a story that we hear far too much of. The, the reason that the story is important to me and that it's a beautiful picture of the power of Christ and the significance of baptism is that early in her life, she had been nearly drowned, actually on a couple of occasions uh, when she was quite young. And since that experience, she had never submerged her face in water, not even in the shower. It was not nothing. It, it was something. And it held an everyday kind of paralysis for her. She wanted to be baptized, but the water in and of itself had dread for her. So she had resisted, kind of kept it all to herself, didn't want to talk about it. And then one day, finally, she came to me and we talked and she explained her story and did not ask for any sort of alternative. She told me she had decided that the time was Now, let's do this. Let's leave the past behind. And in a very real way, she submitted herself to her worst fear, the fear of even dying so that she could be baptized. And no pressure from me. The Spirit was doing a work in her heart, preparing her, beginning to release her. And I can remember being with her, standing with her in the pool, and and she was shaking a little bit as she came in. and, and, And she looked at me when she was in the water and we're sort of, getting set up. So she grabs my hand as, as we're getting prepared and she, and she whispers to me, I'm, I'm going to be all right. And when I gently lowered her into the water, claiming for her all of the rights and privileges in Christ for her, I said, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit down under the water, water that she had not had in her face in almost two decades, down into death itself. And I raised her back up, and and I'm just yelling, from death to life. 
And as I looked at her, she was smiling ear to ear, triumphant and glowing, exultant in the fresh, personal outpouring of God's grace to her on so many levels at once. And when we hugged right after that, that moment of celebration, I knew that I was attached to my new sister in Christ in a way that I had never been before. We shared a moment of uncertainty and power and fear and triumph, freedom and grace. It was, it was a wonder to be in that moment and to, to be around that moment. And her baptism was a conquest. And I was then, and I, and I continue to be now, so proud of her. Her story is not the only one, but it is the only one for today. I don't want to blur that moment, but I do want to welcome you into the story, onto the road trip, into this landmark. If you have not yet been baptized, please consider it today. Please talk to me or go to our website. Go to our Next Steps page. Look at baptism. And let's release some more people from death to life. Now, tossed with temptation then haunted with fears. My life has been joyless and useless for years. I feel something better most surely would be if once thy pure waters would roll over me. O ocean of mercy, of oft longing I've stood on the brink of thy wonderful life-giving flood. Once more I have reached the soul-cleansing sea. I will not go back till it rolls over me. The tide is now flowing. I'm touched by the wave. I hear the loud call of the mighty to save. My faith's growing bolder. Delivered, I'll be. I plunge neath the waters. They roll over me. Oh, boundless salvation. Fullness of Love, Christ's mercy brought from above, the whole world redeeming, so rich and so free, now flowing for all men. Come, roll over me. Father, everyone needs compassion and a love that's not failing. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations both near and far. It's not just about me. But thank you, Jesus, for letting me be part of a we, of an us. I know that I need a mighty Savior. And as I speak for my friends here as well, I'm turning to you today for the first time or maybe for the 10,000th time. I need your grace again. I need your strength again. I need someone who has the power to overcome my fears and my sins, to overcome even the grave itself. That's why, Jesus, I want to offer myself to you again. I want to submit to your lordship over me again. And for others here today, perhaps for the first time ever, if you've never stated this to God before, then, then let me guide you in a, in a brief declaration to God right now. Having accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and desiring to follow his example and to be obedient to his command, I will display my love for him and give public testimony to my faith 
by being baptized at the earliest convenience. Lord Jesus, meet us where we are. Cause the important to sink into our minds right now. Thank you for saving us. Amen.